You're listening to the Marketing Agility Podcast with Frank Days and Roland Smart. In this episode, we talk with Andrea Friere, co-founder of Agile Sherpas and author of an upcoming book on Agile Marketing. An old friend of the podcast, Andrea will share with us how she's helped a number of global brands scale Agile in their marketing teams and increase their overall effectiveness. We'll kick off that conversation right after this brief announcement. This podcast is brought to you by our good friends at the Business Agility Institute. Their upcoming Business Agility Conference is just around the corner on March 11th and 12th in New York City. I'll be there. There's a whole track on marketing. Listeners of this podcast, you get 20% off registration. How do you do it? You go to rsmartly forward slash bacon 2020. That's R-S-M-A-R-T period L-Y forward slash B-A-C-O-N 2020. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Andrea, welcome back to the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Hey, welcome. It is great to have you back. I don't know if it's been a year since we last talked, but you have been moving and shaking and driving the adoption of Agile Marketing. I've been watching all the work that you've been doing. It's been great. So thank you for being part of the group of people who are sort of carrying the banner and advancing this movement forward. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's been a very busy year and I have the frequent flyer miles to show for it. <laughs> nice. Well, can you just catch us up? How far along has Agile Sherpas come since we last spoke with you? Yeah, you know, we've been doing some really exciting things. I think that perhaps the Agile Marketing Certification that we helped write was quite new last time we spoke. And, and we are, I guess, approaching a two-year anniversary for that in March. And so March of 2020 will be two years. So I haven't done the totals for 2019, but multiple hundreds of people in that certification this year and gotten to work with some very complicated clients, which is always interesting. It it really tests the theory behind some of the agile practices when you get into these super regulated environments. And um, yeah, just some very large and interesting implementations, which is why I'm so excited that you all are really tackling this scaling conversation because I think that it pushes the boundaries of what agile marketing has been asked to do so far and, and what we're going to need it to do in the next couple of years. You talk complications. Can you share a little bit of what are some of the challenges that these organizations are facing as you're trying to roll it out? Yeah, it comes down a lot of times to resourcing, I think, where as soon as you start to try to build multiple agile teams, you realize quickly, oh, we need to build five teams, but we have one copywriter or one SEO specialist. And so how do we navigate around those kinds of inequities? So then do we have subject matter experts who need to be kind of consultants to multiple teams? Or do we actually need to replicate that person on every team? And then it becomes the conversation around how do you avoid people sitting on everybody's team? Because that's really the thing we're trying to move away from and to have dedicated, persistent, truly agile teams. And so that's really the sticking point, I think, for a lot of these bigger groups. And then another common challenge is when the people around marketing, whether it's legal or even HR, and in some very interesting cases, product development, who are not agile. And then 
when marketing begins to bump up against those sort of non-agile barriers, what happens? Yeah, it's interesting. We had a conversation recently with someone and that's the question that I often ask is, what happens when agile land intersects with waterfall land? And I mean, how do you see those manifesting themselves? What I always tell our clients is, you know, we have plenty of work that we can do to optimize this part of the system that we control. And then you can begin to create visibility around the impact that that non-agile world is having on the newly agile system that you're building but there's plenty of optimization room in most marketing departments before you hit that barrier. And I think that the mistake that can be made there is to say, well, if we can't fix everybody around us, then there's no point trying anything. And that, you know, leaves a lot of opportunity on the table. So I want to go back to one of the specific challenges that you mentioned a minute ago. This is something that I feel like I can relate to from my recent experience at Pantheon. There's a question about whether or not you have distributed teams or you have specific roles distributed into small cross-functional teams. Let's just say for the purpose of argument, we're talking about a copywriter or a visual designer or something like that. The organizations that you've worked with set up a center of excellence or a guild of those individuals? And how do they break out of the, we have a creative or team or organization that's basically an internal agency? How do they break out of that pattern or mode? Yeah, actually some people don't, but I'll go to that second. First, I do want to answer your question about the kind of guild thing. And yes, that is something that folks will do in order to maintain that connection between you know, all the copywriters who have been distributed amongst the small cross-functional teams so they can continue to share best practices and to support one another as, you know, people who are doing the same kinds of work. The thing that can trip people up then is if like the chapter lead or the guild lead is their former functional boss who still wants to dictate their daily activities rather than let them go and serve their team in the way that we would want them to, you know, pulling work from the backlog as opposed to taking orders from a functional manager. And so making sure that we understand the purpose of a chapter or a guild and that it's not actually the continuation of the copywriting team. Yeah, I saw it really pronounced when it came to recruiting, where in this case, our head of brand and creative was uncomfortable with the idea of recruiting somebody into a cross-functional team without actually directing the recruiting process. Yeah. Even though they wouldn't be the hiring manager, they weren't actually going to actively manage that person, but that person was going to be part of a guild that they were going to have influence over. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I've seen it happen the most in the creative services sort of group with copy or design. They continue to be very involved. They see themselves as, you know, the brand stewards and they want to make sure that every single thing is in a hundred percent alignment, but they also don't want to do too much empowering of the individual contributors or of the teams because then they feel like they've empowered themselves out of a job. So that sort of uh, middle layer is the one of the other big challenges, I think, of figuring out what role should they have, could they have, will they have through the scaling process is something that requires some careful thought and I think some good, solid education of those folks. We're not scaling you out of a job here, but we're going to have to ask you to behave differently as an agile leader, as opposed to a more traditional marketing leader. 
Yeah, and the fact of the matter is there is a shift in power structures, right? Invariably, when you go from a functional to a more cross-functional model, there are people in the previous regime who had more power and control over things, i.e. brand and copy and some of these highly specialized functions that did have a lot of control over things that were going on. So a question I had as people are rolling out in your organizations that you're talking with, as they're rolling out Agile, are they going, dipping the toe in the water and starting with a couple of pilot teams and then kind of rolling it? Or are they saying, okay, everyone into the pool, mm-hmm. we're going big or we're going to go home? Which of those models do you think you're seeing more of out there? The pilot model is definitely more common, especially in the very large enterprises, you know, multi-hundreds of people in the marketing department. You have to pilot in that environment. One of the things that I've discovered probably just in the last six months of when I say pilot and people, I imagine a very particular way of piloting. And we've discovered with clients that we have to be very, very clear about what a pilot is like, because the temptation is to say, well, let's grab these five or six people and put them into the agile pilot 50% of the time, which breaks down very, very quickly. And so figuring out a way to get people 100% dedicated to an Agile team right away, as they should be. You know, an Agile team is not a part-time scenario. You are 100% on your team in an Agile environment. Figuring out how to test into that is usually the hardest part of the pilot phase. But I did have a team of about 40 that went from like 0 to 100% Agile in four days which is my record that I've seen so far. Like we did two days of training and then two days of team redesign and kickoff and they were just ready to go because they were so over their old processes. They were like, we have to do something better. This is the thing we want to do. And they were a very, you know, move fast and break things kind of organization. And so this was part of their culture anyway. Yeah. So it was zero to 104 days and they were done. So Mm -hmm. that's one way to do it. So when we talk about scale, I want to add a little context for a second. You know, oftentimes startup teams, for example, startup companies, relatively small marketing teams, call them five to eight people. They can be really, really agile because they are basically one small cross-functional team. As that organization gets bigger, gets to 15 people, grows up maybe through 30 people, they actually can become less agile because they start feeling a need to develop functional organizations a web team, a content team, product marketing, demand generation, you name it. So it can feel like a step backwards. And then they can pass through that. I think of that as like the adolescent stage of an agile team because they got big arms and legs, but they don't necessarily know how to control them. And this is where teams do. And I have done one of the things that you sort of said doesn't work, which is you can't afford a fully dedicated team yet. So you are pulling people from your functional teams maybe a couple days out of their week to work on a cross-functional project. Can you just speak why you think that doesn't work? What would you recommend for a team that's at that phase and trying to embrace more agility and maybe reorganize and find a way to create dedicated teams? Yeah. I mean, we do have some groups when they're in sort of that awkward middle phase where they can't do... 100% dedicated cross-functional teams because the resource imbalances prevent it. We do have folks who will turn their functional teams into agile teams. And then we introduce some additional 
agile practices that improves the collaboration and the touch points amongst the teams. So things like a scaled daily standup, right, where we have representatives from all of the functional agile teams come together daily after the daily standups have happened to promote the inter-team collaboration and those sorts of things in the interim before we can build the dedicated cross-functional teams. And that works fairly well for people who don't yet have maybe the appetite or the ability to go into 100% cross-functional world yet. And the reason I say that, you know, dedication to a team is key is really just, you know, if you could actually put people all day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, into their agile team, I think that's a potential alternative. What I see happen more often is they say, well, you're 50% on this agile team and 50% on your functional team. And the 50% dedication to the agile team very quickly becomes 0% because their functional team has already demands that take up 40 hours of that person's time. And so the agile team kind of gets the short end of the stick. What's left over, basically. Yeah, if anything is left over. (laughs) So I'm just trying to wrap my head around the functional agile team for a second here. And I mean, I guess it's a step in the right direction, but you lose all the theoretical benefits of the cross-functional dynamic organization, right? You lose some of them. Yeah. And if you're thinking about, you know, people sitting together and a designer and a copywriter and an automation specialist working together to set up an entire campaign. However, if it's nothing or a hundred percent cross-functional people, then for the most part, I'd say going in the right direction is better than doing nothing. And we have several clients who are fresh off a reorg for different reasons. You know, they've done a massive reorganization within the last 12 to 18 months and people are just sort of settling back in from that. And then to have to go to them again and say, hey, we're agile now, so we're reorging again <laughs> is quite a difficult pill to swallow. So we talked about at the lower end of the spectrum of scaling, like up to a 35 or 40 person team. Mm -hmm. Are there other phase changes in organizational structure that you see at when you get into 100 person teams? Yeah, you know, once you're hitting those triple digit sized groups, you're probably looking at multiple divisions or products or whatever the dividing lines tend to be. And then it becomes crucial to start getting the leaders of those various groups talking to one another in order to socialize the benefits and the best practices that the different groups are discovering. And that's part of what we've been working really hard on over the last year at Agile Sherpas is kind of making these adjustments to some of the existing scaling models so that they work with agile marketing teams. And it's, it's this kind of middle leadership layer that I think is often missing. And before we were on, I was finishing up the manuscript for my book where I've really started to kind of really pull this apart and show what I think is working when you integrate those leadership roles, like marketing director, strategy type perspectives that need to serve multiple teams, but then also need to liaise with sales and other business units, you don't see that very often in some of the existing scaling models. And I think that that helps agile marketing at scale look more doable and realistic. 
I assume you're talking about Scrum of Scum or Safe or Less. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned from using those at a very high level. What's the sort of thrust of the framework that you're proposing? Yeah, I mean, Safe in particular, I think, has left a... I don't want to say a bad taste because I think every framework has its right implementation moment. But I know many marketing teams who have not found safe to be the right fit for them. I think it can work nicely when the marketing folks are members of like a release train, but that they're not being asked to necessarily use safe 100% on their own. Scrum at scale can work as well, but it's very centered on the product owner cycle and the scrum master cycle. And I'm sure you all have seen similar things as I have that few marketing departments get a full-time Scrum Master hire, for instance. And the product owner role tends to not look the same in marketing as it would in development. And so those cycles don't match up exactly to the way that marketing activities progress. And so the framework that we're working on, it's called Remarketing, R-I, Marketing, brings together multiple execution teams that are supported by a strategy group that help align their daily activities with larger marketing objectives that are still set at the annual level by marketing leadership. And then it helps to get, like I said, more connection between strategy objectives and the day-to-day activities of a team. Is this a model that you've implemented with clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've done this with several clients of multiple sizes. The smallest is probably going to be that team I was telling you about that did it all in four days, uh, 35 to 40, all the way up to a couple of hundred people. It's designed to be quite modular so that you can begin with a subset of the organization, you know, a strategy group that's supporting one or several execution teams, and then add on more groups over time as you learn more about what's working and how the teams will be designed and so forth. So in the context of this framework, how much diversity is there with respect to the methods that any one squad or team is using? I'm so very glad that you asked that because I think that that's a big value for agile marketing in general is that flexibility around framework. We have encouraged the execution teams to be very independent in the way that they get work done. And so we do have some clients that maintain that sort of creative services group. It's a services team. You know, they're taking in requests from multiple different groups inside of the organization. And then they're looking very Kanban, right? They're cycling through incoming requests quickly, delivering constantly, eliminating bottlenecks, all of those sorts of things. Whereas a team that might be working more on events, let's say, may end up looking more like a scrum team because those recurring cycles of work with their sprint deadlines fit better with the type of work that they're doing. But the execution teams, those real agile teams, have control over the way that they do work. And is there a role within this framework, an agile coach who is sort of looking across these teams, giving them starter kits based on what their particular use case is? Yeah, absolutely. Each execution team has what we call a team lead. They're sort of a hybrid product owner, scrum master type person. And so then those folks will be in communication with one another to share best practices. We also recommend that through the pilot process, 
the pilot teams establish a reference model, like you're saying, a, a set of templates or best practices or get started kits that new teams can use to start a little farther down the path and benefit from the learnings of the teams that have gone before them. So it's interesting, uh, that model, that hybrid product owner and scrum master, I would be lying if I said some of my teams don't operate that way. And that kind of rolling up into a strategy group, right? I mean, or at least rolling up into aligning with someone in a central strategy. We kind of do that as well. We have, you know, it's not a scrum of scrums, but it's definitely what we call our macro meeting we do on a regular basis where we get together and kind of talk about the macro level strategies and then they align back down into the teams. But can you talk a little bit about in some of your organizations, what these strategy teams look like? I mean, are they mostly the product owners and scrum masters? Are they mostly, you know, functional leaders? Are they business executives? Yeah, it depends on how big the organization is, but the team leads, those sort of product owner, scrum master folks are definitely in the strategy group. But then it's also more of that sort of senior manager, director type level who can provide a strategic perspective that would guide the daily activities of multiple execution teams, usually not executive at that level. We would have the marketing leadership team that would potentially be guiding multiple strategy groups through a larger, right, even bigger picture conceptualization of marketing activities. But that would be where sort of VP, CMO folks sit. And if it was relevant, invite executives from other groups to join that leadership team if needed so that they can provide some of that outside perspective. But I wouldn't put them in a strategy group typically. And I will say, like you're saying, that you are arranged in this way, you know, a little bit. It's very much a pragmatic thing. 100%. based on all the ways that we've seen marketers actually do stuff and actually get things done, which is, you know, the genesis of all of it is, is very practical and I hope based in reality. Oh, this makes me feel a little better about. I always joke that to my team that we're a bit of a hack when it comes to doing agile, but I think that as marketers, we've all are slowly adapting the techniques because the techniques weren't really weren't developed for us from the ground up, and certain parts of the frameworks work really well, and certain ones don't, as you've suggested here as well. So, yeah, why the framework is called remarketing RI from the the shuhari idea, you know, where you start you know, emulating in the shoe phase and then in the ha phase, you begin experimenting. And then in re, you, you come to the sort of realization that you need to make your own path. And I think that that's where we need to go in outdoor marketing generally. So that's the name. I love it. Great. Well, Andrea, thank you again for joining us today. I mean, this was really great update. We look forward to catching up with you again in 2020 as you start to get more things on the calendar and closer to your book and some other things that are coming down the pike. Just as a reminder to our listeners out there, if you like this podcast, show us some love. As Roland reminded me, we should ask people to give us a review on iTunes because we still are out there on iTunes. The more reviews you get, the more people spread the word. Also, thank you again, Andrea, for joining us today. And everyone out there, please stay agile. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys.